Today, we're going to talk about Jesus, we're going to talk to Jesus, we're going to look to Jesus, we're going to behold the glory of Jesus, and by His grace, we're going to become more like Jesus. Amen? Anybody agree with that? It's January 3rd. Everyone's looking to be resolute about something. That's what we're going to do today. Um, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, if you have a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Um, you can take that off the screen if you would for a moment. Um, and by way of announcement, Pastor Josh and Sherry are celebrating 19 beloved years of marriage this weekend. Uh, pray for them. They're in Chicago for some ungodly reason, Josh. He likes that city. Uh, so they went to Chicago, and we just are glad for them to take a break uh, from ministry, from the kids, to be refreshed in their marriage. Um, and he obviously asked me to preach uh, today, and it's, I'm just overjoyed to be in the pulpit today. It's, it's very humbling. Um, it's an honor, and I'm glad to have the privilege to proclaim God's word. Today we're going to go back to the bedrock of our faith, okay? And my hope for this sermon is that it would be simple, but yet it would have profound implications for us, you see. I want this sermon to be simple, but that it would have profound implications for us this morning. And we're going to answer one question, and it's this. What is God's purpose for the Christian? Or you could say... What is God's plan, or objective, or aim, or will, or bottom line for the Christian? What is God after for the Christian? What's God's purpose? And that answer to this question is found in 2 Corinthians 3. And it's this. God's purpose for the Christian, His aim, His objective, is that we would all be transformed into the image of His Son. That's it. Very simple truth, is it not? And that's what we're going to look to today. Let's go ahead and read 2 Corinthians. It's verse 18, and then we will pray and jump in. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father God, um, as of late, you're teaching me to be still. This world is so busy, full of angst and busyness, and you're teaching me to be still, to put my hands down, and to know that you're God. And I'm reminded of Psalm 119, where it says, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. This morning, that's my prayer for this body of believers, that you would enlarge our hearts to behold the glory of Jesus that we would run in your way. I realize, Father, that there are many different ages and incomes and vocations and backgrounds and histories 
circumstances, concerns in this room. Father, we may share the same residence of central Illinois, but in this room there are many different people with many different histories. Lots of different things going on. My hope this morning in praying to you, Jesus, is that you would unite our hearts in one accord to look to you, to behold you, and to be in step with what your purpose is for us. I pray in the powerful, joy-filled, majestic name of Jesus. Amen. If any of you know me, I like to set things up just a little bit before we get to our passage, so I just ask that you bear with me. We're here on Sunday. Chill out, relax, enjoy the ride, and we'll get to 2 Corinthians 13. Now, as I prayed about what to preach on for this sermon, I came across 2 Corinthians 3.18, and I was convicted. That's a, that's a word that the, the Holy Spirit does to us, that he cuts us to our heart with, sobri- with sobriety, Right? And I was convicted by this, and I said, oh, that's your purpose. I was reminded that that's what he is doing in my life, is that I would be transformed into the image of his son. And I was also reminded of when I was saved. Each of you that belongs to Jesus this morning, I want you to go to that day when he quickened your heart to the gospel. When he regenerated your heart, and he he reached down into the death of your spiritual life, and he created life, and you saw Jesus for who he was and what he's done on the cross for you. Do you remember that day? Go there. And for me, I was 19. I was serving in the U.S. Navy. I was aboard the Abraham Stinkin' Lincoln, as we affectionately refer to that boat. And I was full of joy. I was full of just a refreshed spirit and, and ignorant passion and zeal, right? And I asked Jen... If I could use, that's my wife, by the way, if I could use our marriage as an example. And she said, sure. How so? And I said, why am I married to you? (laughs) And she said, yeah, why are you married to me? Answer that question. And there's a parallel between, I've been a Christian for almost 20 years. I've been married for 10. And there's a parallel between when we're justified in Christ, when we're saved by him, and when we get married and say our vows and I do's, when I got married to Jen almost 10, or more than 10 years ago now, there was joy, there was some ignorant passion on my part mostly, there was zeal, things were new and fresh, there was a honeymoon phase, right? And for us Christians, if you've been a Christian for 50 years or 50 days, you can remember that honeymoon phase of Christianity, and then time goes by. For me, almost 20 years. And I forget why he saved me. And 2 Corinthians reminded me, Oh, I behold Jesus and his glory, and by doing so, he transforms me into the image of his son. That's what we're going to get after today. There are three ways to hear this sermon. The first two are incorrect, and the third is the correct one. The first one is that you would hear this sermon, and you would self-condemn. And you would say, I'm not where I should be. And in security, you would just kind of sink down in your chair. Don't do that this morning. The second way to hear this sermon is incorrect. 
And it's that you would get on that religious treadmill and you say, what am I going to do for God? Don't do that. That's in self-righteousness. That's in pride. The third way is the appropriate way. Hear this sermon where you are with open hands that we have a God that loves us and meets us where we are. It's what he does. For me, I have five kids. We have a family of seven And oftentimes when I get to these seats, sometimes I'm not warmed up and ready to hear the word of God. So let's do that this morning and just receive his word. Amen? Any amens in the house? Now there are three key areas that we need to address before we get there. The first one is a question. Why do we need to be transformed into the image of Jesus? Isn't that provocative? It just ran right over me as I prepared for this sermon. Okay, so I behold Christ, and then I get transformed into the same image. Well, why do I need to be transformed? And the answer is simple, and it will address believer and non-believer alike in this room. It's sin. In Genesis 3, the third chapter of the the whole Bible in Genesis, Satan as a serpent entered the garden and he tempted Eve with a conversation that she should never have engaged, but she did. She partook of the fruit and then she gave some to her husband who was with her. And right there, sin entered creation and broke and ruined everything. And all of us are implicated in that. And we're going to camp out here for a moment. Because we need to. All of us are in the line, in the wake of Adam and Eve. Sin. And guys, we have this culture, this day, and I would, I would imagine that it's no different. It's always been like this. We don't want to be told that we're sinners. I don't like it when Jen points out my sin. I don't like it when any one of my friends or my pastor points out my sin. But it's necessary. It's right. And we have it in us, and it's that pride that says, Don't you tell me about my sin, preacher. You don't tell me that I'm bad. You don't tell me that I'm an evildoer. You feel that rising up in us? It rises up in me. You don't talk to me about my thought life. My words, my eyes, my deeds. You don't address that part of my life. That's my business. And it's in all of us, guys. And it's just so necessary that we go there. Because we have this culture that doesn't want to do that. And it's somehow, (laughs) this is so silly, it somehow injects and plugs in this morality into the equation as if that does something to transform our hearts into the image of Christ that if you pay your taxes or do the right thing or say yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am work a job take care of your property that that that's what transforms us and it does not I was raised in central Louisiana Right, Wes? We talked about that this morning. I'm a Cajun boy. And man, we were good people. 
I love my mom and dad. And one thing that was not talked about in my home was sin. It wasn't addressed. And we just need to do that. Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why do you think that is? A true friend is faithful to say, you know what, Greg? I love you, man, and you're just, you're in sin in this area. So as your preacher today... I want to be faithful and wound you with the truth of sin for the greater good of the gospel. Don't you want... There's something in us of God that wants to know the truth, okay? So there's this pride that doesn't want it, but there's something that says, yeah, that's the truth. Don't you want the truth instead of the lie? Have you ever been lied to and said, man, don't lie to me. Tell me the truth. We can all identify with that. It's so deceptive. I pray against the enemy right now. Because what we do is we leave this trail of sin behind us, don't we? And then we cover that thing up, hoping nobody finds us out. (laughs) Isn't that true? We do something and we try to conceal that sucker. And the crazy part is that God sees it all along. Because ultimately our sin is against him. Of course we sin against our fellow man. But really, it's against him. Psalm 51, verses 3 through 6. Hear David here. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, You delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. How refreshing is David's confession of sin right here? Isn't it so refreshing? He is allowing the the burden and the weight of his sin to rest upon him. The responsibility of what he is is coming out of him. Isn't that refreshing? How many of us have done that with God or with our spouse or with someone we trust? Say, man, my sin is just ever before me. I tell you what, I've, I've been given the gift of confession, and it, it works. It's healing. And the truth on the inward being, I like this part, is that we are sinners and desperately need a savor. That's what David sees here. God is teaching him the truth of, man, I am a wretch. And I need you. And he's crying out to God in that. So why do we need to be transformed into the image of Jesus? We're sinners. Is Jesus a sinner? No. Of thought, word, or deed. Pure, holy, righteous, perfect. Without sin. And we are not that. We start with sin. That's when David says, I'll read it again. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Didn't Jesus tell Nicodemus that he needed to be what? Born again. And it confused him for a moment. We have a physical birth, but spiritually we're dead inside. 
And we need Jesus to reach down into that death and quicken our hearts and regenerate us to see him for who he is and what he's done on the cross. That is why we need to be transformed into his image. And it's good that we talk about that. It's good that we're humbled by that. Look, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to guilt you. See, condemnation and guilt, you know where they come from? People and your enemy. Isn't that right? But conviction comes from the Holy Spirit that he cuts and he comes in and he, he, he breaks through all that callousness and those warts and our, our consciences that are seared. And he shows us the truth. And that's the truth of sin and why we need to be transformed into his image. The second key area that we need to address is our minds. As believers, we must address our thinking. So we have a couple of verses to help us with this. And this is not exhaustive, uh, but there's some good examples. Romans 12, verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, key word, by the what? Renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. There are two lanes down which we can go up here. Right now, we all have this thing called a thought life, this mind. And it's happening in everyone right now. Some of you are dialed in on what the Word of God is saying right now, and some of you are not. Come to this verse. You can, you can be transformed and conformed to the image or the patterns of this world. You know what that'll do? That will misinform your thinking. You will be full of anxiety and misinformation and lies. And then that will, if you, if you allow that to continue, it will unfurl into all these chapters and verses and this narrative that's wrong. That's why the Word of God is saying, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And how we do that is right here. We don't have to read the Word of God, but we get to read the Word of God. And when you come to it, let me speak for myself. I've come to the Word of God, and I said, man, I don't agree with that right there. That's crazy talk. And you know what that is? That's God saying, Greg, you need to change your mind. Your mind is dull, and you've been, you've been being informed by the world and this craziness over here. That's how the mind is transformed. We have to address our thinking. The next verse is Colossians 3, verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you see the similarity in those verses? How many parents do we have in, in the room? Moms and dads, raise your hands. Quite a few. Has, has any of your children ever not, be, not been listening to you, not been thinking what you want them to think? And you reach down and you grab their chin and you raise their eye to yours? I do that in my home. Right, Micah? Micah's not thinking like I want him to think. I say, buddy, right here. And he'll be looking at my belly button for some reason. And, and I'll, I'll grab his chin and raise. I say, right here. Dad's right here. And I'll I'll capture his mind and his thoughts and say, look, up here. That's what God is doing in these verses. 
and look for them elsewhere. They're everywhere that God is saying, up here, set your mind up here. Have this mind about you that's yours in Christ Jesus, not down here. And if we don't do that this morning, we won't behold Jesus for who he really is and his glory. We have to address our sin. We have to address the mind. Thirdly is our identity. This is huge. Isaiah 61, verse 10. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is who you are. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. I asked Micah at dinner recently, Micah, who are you? He said, I'm Micah Hill. (laughs) He's eight. But if we're a believer in Jesus, and someone walks up to you and says, Cameron, who are you? One of the things that should come out of you is, I'm a Christian. That identifies me. That makes me up of who I am. So, when Jen and I were married, one or two years, we went to this little conference called Ancient Paths. And prior to that conference, I had this 28-ish-year-old history behind me that identified me. And had I met you before that conference, I would have told you about who I was. And did my, is my history true? Is your history true? Yes, it happened. But in Jesus, does it make you up? For me, it was filthy. It was riddled with whoring around and dishonoring women and doing all kinds of drugs and being lazy and being a glutton and being self-centered. And I, in a very crafty way, would disclose that to you about who I was. That was my robe. I would put that on each day. And that became my truth. And that day in ancient past, God gave me enough time and he said, Greg, he took that, that, that truth off of me that was a lie. Because here's the deal. When that truth, become, the lie becomes our truth and Jesus' truth comes to us, it's contrary to our truth. Do you see that? And, and God said, Greg, no, 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 no. I have clothed you with the garments of salvation. And you now wear a robe of righteousness in Jesus' name. And he gave me just enough time to say, Greg, you're my son. You're a a priest in my kingdom. You're a mouthpiece for me. And I latched onto that thing. And I said, really? If I'm honest, I'm like, is that true? This also addresses our minds and what we're thinking about ourselves in Jesus. We are clothed in his salvation and robes of righteousness, are we not? That's the truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus To put off your old self, there it is, which belongs to what? Your former manner of life and this corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed 
in the spirit of your minds, which addresses the mind again, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness. That's what he's done for us. That, that's the image that we get to become. That's our identity, brothers and sisters, in him. I know it's a fight, but you have to look at your sin and, and, and let have a sober mind about who you are in sin and then look to these verses in the Bible. Pray to the Holy Spirit. He'll show you many more to address your thinking. Many of us get these crazy thought lives and we... I'm a scenario man. Are you guys scenario people? Like I just go down these rabbit trails. Like what is this? And it gets really hairy and muddy. And God is raising our chins up to his eyesight and saying, look here, that's the wrong way to do this with your mind. And then this is who you are in Jesus. This is your identity. This is who you are in him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 popular passage. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. <clears throat> the old has passed away. Behold. Do you see that? Behold. Look to. See. Observe. Behold. The new has come. All this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Being gathered here today is evidence of that. This is the message of reconciliation. This is what we're doing. Be reconciled to God. You're a sinner. Turn to him. Think on him. That's what Paul's talking about. That's who you are in him. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge that you would know. That you would know. It's not just an understanding of intellect, but that you would know, that you would taste, that you would see, that your, that your identity in Christ would be a tangible thing. And the knowledge after the image of its creator. Isn't that wonderful? Do you think this way? I have to confess that I haven't. I don't think this way. That's why the 2 Corinthians 3 was like, whoa! And then God said, Greg, you're a sinner. Look at your thought life. Look at your identity. Then behold Jesus. Do you think this way? If, if you don't think this way, you just came to church today and you're not going to behold Jesus for who he is in glory and what he's done for you, and thus you won't be transformed. Once we accept our identity in Jesus as saved and righteous, we'll begin to conform to his image, which is to think, talk, and act like him. Now that we're dialed in on 
those things, why we need to be transformed, our minds are up here to God's word. We know about our identity. A lot of this is not news for you guys. It's just reminders, right? Paul and Peter were very fond of saying, I'll stir you up by way of reminder. Even though you're, you're rooted in the faith, as we're prone to what? Forget. <clears throat> now let's get into 2 Corinthians 3, if you can bring that up for me, please. Let's look at this. And we all, every single one of us gets to do this. We all, this addresses all believers, get to do this. This does away with elitist Christianity, that there's some elite group that gets to do this. This does away with the varsity team. That varsity type Christianity, well, we're... We're the varsity guys. We've got the letter jacket for Jesus. No, no, no. no we, we can't say, well, I'm not Billy Graham. I don't have like a, a red line to Christ. No. We all get to do this. With what? With unveiled face. Now, this is a reference to Moses who wore the veil over his shining face until he went to speak with the Lord. Um, and Paul is asserting that all Christians can, like Moses, approach the glory of the Lord with unveiled faces. And when it uses the word veil in here, it refers to ignorance of the mind, blindness of the mind, and hardness of heart. And in preceding verses, just before verse 18, it states, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So this ignorance, this blindness, this hardness of heart is taken away when you turn to Jesus... And you get to see him for who he is and what he's done for you on the cross with unveiled face, beholding, beholding the glory of the Lord. What are we beholding? The glory, this glory that we're beholding is the glory of salvation in Christ. Guys, when he hung on that cross, by the time he got there and did that work, he got up under everything. Our enemy, Satan, death, us. He got up under everything. And this blew me away that despite his foreknowledge, he, he, he has this foreknowledge from eternity past, he could see this coming. And he did it anyway. honest if I'm honest with myself I am a wretched man full of me and he came anyway and he got up on that cross and died that is glorious is it not that is more glorious than any football game you'll watch today any favorite musician you'll go see in concert put put into place any landscape that you'll go see on this globe or in the galaxies pales in comparison. I would, I, would, I would just, if I can be so bold that when we see him in glory, it's going to rock our world. That's what we're beholding. That's what we're looking to. 
All of us get to do this with an unveiled face. See Jesus here, Isaiah 52, 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. I asked the kids at dinner recently, I said, buddy, if Micah and Clay and Jude, I said, if daddy was hung on a cross, do you think he'd be able to look up there and say, that's my dad? They're like, yeah. I said, well, who's Jesus' mom? And Micah said, Mary. I said, well, she was there, but she couldn't recognize her son. He was flogged and beaten. They ripped the flesh off of his body and bloodied him, pulled the hair from his beard, spat on him, designed a crown of thorns, and they drove it into his skull, put a piece of timber on his shoulders and made him carry his own cross. Laid him down, drove spikes through his hands and his feet, erected the cross, and there he was. That's our God. And you know why he was so marred beyond human semblance that you couldn't recognize the guy? Because of sin. (laughs) The way Jesus looked like on the outside when he was crucified is what we look like on the inside. Do you see that? If there are any there are any non-believers in the room this is the God that died for you I asked Micah recently I said buddy why did Jesus die for what and he said sin that's us picture Jesus on the cross crucified and us sin of the world being laid upon him and just bloodying our God And for the non-believer, this is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. It's simply that you deserve to be crucified, but Jesus said, no, Greg, I'm going to go take your place on the cross, and then I'm going to give you my place as a son. That's what we're beholding. And if you're a non-believer and you feel that tug at your heart, and this is making sense to you, that's not an obligatory thing. You're not obligated out of compulsion to accept Jesus. That's, that's Him tugging at you. Just give in to it. It's the most delightful thing I've ever experienced is giving in to Christ. And you can pray right now. Father God, I am a sinner. <laughs> and I see Jesus. He is, he is revealing. He is a revelatory God and He is revealing Himself to you. Pray to him. I'm a sinner. I see Jesus. Please forgive me of my sin. And he will not turn you away. Approach Cameron Easley, myself, or Doug Chamberlain, any of the members or leaders in the church, and let us know. We want to love on you. Your relationship with Jesus is the most intimate, one-on-one relationship you will have. But he calls you into a people to walk together, to grow together, to lock arms. Can't do this alone. Any Christian that thinks they can do this outside of the church is a fool. 
They're not thinking properly. Gotcha. Are being transformed. So, back to the verse. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. I read this to Jen and I said, is that what it says? (laughs) I just got to clarify, confirm. Are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now, we're going to have some sound doctrine here today. This does not mean that we become God or gods. Do you understand? That is not what it's saying. We don't become Jesus. Okay? What it is saying that when we look to Him and behold the glory that is His death on the cross and His burial and His resurrection, His work, that when we look to that, we start to reflect it as in a mirror to others of what we think and how we see and what we say and what we do. We begin to think like Jesus. We begin to see like Jesus the world around us. We begin to talk like Jesus. We begin to do like Jesus. He transforms us into that image. Isn't that cool? Don't you want that? And this part of the sermon is hard. If you're just sitting there, I I heard a preacher once say that hard words produce soft people. And soft words produce hard people. If you're just sitting in the chair this morning and you're just contented to be where you are, I want to shake you with the love of Jesus. Say, no, 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 you're missing out. You're striving after all these worldly things of perfection, only to fail and and despair. Don't stay where you are. And it's not you that does the changing. It's not you that gets on the treadmill. It's Jesus when we behold Him. It's really cool. You hang out with Him and He just changes you. And you're like, wow, I'm different. And all I did was look to Him. Do you see that? Too many of us are just contented to to be dull and to be warm. And I know there's seasons of life that there's ups and downs. You're looking at a man that backed up over his three-year-old last summer with a lawnmower. The darkest hour of my marriage with my wife. Pretty down. But man, what did we do? We beheld Jesus. Matthew Henry, I like reading this guy. He stated this regarding this privilege. He said, quote, How much, therefore, should Christians prize and improve these privileges? We should not rest contented without an experimental knowledge of the transforming power of the gospel by the operation of the Spirit, bringing us into a conformity to the temper and tendency of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Matthew Henry's saying, man, we should do this more and more and more and more and more. Improve these privileges. Don't rest contented. You want to be resolute about something? I'm a sinner. I'm thinking wrong. But man, in Jesus, I am this, I am clothed in this robe of righteousness. 
That's from him. Improve that privilege. Keep beholding him. Martin Luther said that progress is always to begin again. Don't we need to do that? Just begin again. It's January 3rd. We're Americans. It's a new year. But <laughs> begin again. 1 Peter four twelve and 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I bring that verse up to say that in this room there's a lot going on. There's cancer in this room. There's death in the family in this room. There's financial hardship in this room. There's doubt. There's depression. There's post-traumatic stress in this room. There's a lot going on. But God is such a sovereign and loving God. He's, his engine, people, is love. His motive is love. And he will use whatever storm he pleases to transform us into this image. Don't waste it. I need you. I, I, I urge you, plead with you to look at the storm of your life. And look up and see a sovereign God that's outside of time and not surprised by a single thing. And he is either permitting and allowing things to happen or causing them to happen. To do what? To transform you into his image. That's what he's wanting to do. So don't, don't waste that. It's there for a reason. Not being hokey on you. Not being Oprah on you. Being gospel on you. Truth on you. Amen? Let's pray.